Welcome to the Woodridge Baptist Church Podcast. For more information about what's happening in the life of our church, visit our website at www.woodridge.org. Enjoy the podcast. Good morning, church. Um, I didn't say it earlier, because some of you know me guys, but my name is Rhett, and I'm the student pastor here. Um, as we think about magnifying, before I talk about that, I just want to, um, I know it's funny, the students took different... Uh, polls on if they thought Faith or myself would cry today. Um, And that's because this class is just very special. Every class is special, but when Tiffany and I first came here to Woodridge, uh, this senior class was in sixth grade. Um, So very, very near and dear to us. So thank you guys and your families for letting us be a part of your lives for so long. Um, It's a a special, special time. Okay, that's it. I'm not going to cry anymore. Um, I'm good. So magnify. I lead into that because I think this group has such an amazing opportunity to magnify God with the platforms that they have been given, um, with the people that God has made them to be, but it's also a message that extends to all of us, is are we magnifying God with our actions, with our words, with everything we're doing, are we making much of God? Now, when we say magnify, I think there's a couple different definitions that come to mind. The first one, which is the one I don't mean, is one where you take something very small, minuscule, not very substantial, and you blow it out of proportion, like a magnifying glass or a microscope. Like you're taking something that is very small, insignificant, and you're giving a picture of it so you can actually see it, right? It itself is small. You're trying to make it bigger than it is. That's not what we do with God, but rather to magnify God means to take something that is glorious and huge and substantial and amazing and beautiful and give a right picture of it. Right? It's almost maybe even far off. It's like a telescope. We get to look at how amazing God is, but other people don't see it as they should, so we get to give them a little peek behind the curtain and display that glory to them. That's what we do when we get to magnify God. Psalm 34 talks about magnifying God, and in this psalm, if you've ever read it or you've sung Psalm 34 by Shane and Shane, it reads as a very positive, upbeat, um, joyful, and thanksgiving-filled psalm However, the the context is kind of bleak. So I want to fill you in on the context, and then we will read it with that context in mind. The context is this. David is on the run. He is on the run first from Saul, because him and Saul didn't always get along, if you didn't know that. Saul had killed his thousands, David his ten thousands, right? Saul was a little jealous. So he was in pursuit of David trying to kill him. David gets away from Saul. We're good. Right, but then he goes to the Philistine city of Gath, which is Goliath's hometown. Really good idea by David there. Then he almost dies there. He narrowly escapes death through some very interesting circumstances, if you want to go read in 1 Samuel about that one. Now, David is, he's outside of Gath. He's living inside of a cave with a bunch of rejects, right? A bunch of other people who are on the run, like David, he's living in the side of a mountain. Like, that's the context that David is writing and singing this psalm to the Lord. So do we have that picture? It seems a little less, um, a little more sorrowful when we, when we understand that. And it, it gives us a little more light into how David is magnifying God in the midst of that situation. So this is what Psalm 34 says, verses 1 through 3. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I love those first two lines of verse one because it says, I will bless the Lord at all times, right? Remember where David is right now? In a cave, barely escaped death, right? At all times, I'll bless the Lord. 
His praise will continually be in my, in my mouth, on my lips, right? Like that is, that is what David's going through right here. And I'm like, David, are you not understanding how bleak your situation is? Like you were out here, you've barely escaped death twice. You were living in a cave, right? Like we go to Camp Ania every year with the guys and we sleep sometimes in tents. This last year we got to sleep in a nice lodge. Like I don't know what it's like to live in a cave, but this is what David is living in right now. And this is the perspective that he has. And I'm like, David, are you missing something? And he's not missing anything. He just has it in right perspective. He knows the joy that he has in the Lord. So this current circumstance is not as weighty to him. I want you to think of that person in your life. And I've had the opportunity and the blessing to have several and many of them. Some are with the Lord now. Some are still here with us. But that person that even if their entire life was crashing down around them, they would still be joyful in the Lord. They could be sick to the point of death. And maybe they were but their joy is still found in the Lord. You can just see it saturating from them. You have that person in mind? That their life can be in shambles. And it's not to say that they're inauthentic or just ignoring their circumstances. They can be real about it and be like, this, this is not great. However, the joy of the Lord is my strength. My hope is in Christ. It's not in this life. And that is what David is saying right here. We get to see that David magnifies the Lord in his circumstance. And you and I are called to do the same, that we get to magnify the Lord in and through every circumstance. We don't get to pick and choose which one. And Davis gives, David gives us this example of what it looks like to magnify the Lord well. In verse three, we see another aspect of worship. David says, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Come with me as we magnify the Lord. Let's exalt his name together. He, he is inviting these other people with him. Remember these other rejects? the people that society had kicked out. He's inviting them to join in this worship of the Lord. David has seen the goodness of God, but it's not enough for him to just know it himself. He wants other people to join in this worship of God. And that's this picture we see right here is if you experience something good, you want to tell someone else about it, right? It's the reason we talk about our sports teams all the time, Texans and Rockets withholding, right? But maybe the, the Astros and things like that. If we experience something good, I want others to know about it. I love... Good barbecue. I don't know if any of you in here love good barbecue. I love good barbecue. I think the best barbecue is moist brisket. If you have it lean, you're missing out. There's some flavor there. But I think the best moist brisket you can get, and they're not paying for me for this endorsement, is Rusty Buckle up off 99 Community Drive. Have you ever had it? Anyone had it? Okay, if you haven't, I would love for you to join me for some barbecue sometime, right? I have known that it is good, and I want you to experience that goodness as well. I want you to be a part of that. And that's what worship is. We invite others to worship God with us because we know how good he is. And now part of worship, of course, is our hearts being lifted to God as a spiritual sacrifice, right? Like God sees our hearts. He hears our words, but he sees our hearts as we sing. And that's a spiritual sacrifice to him. That's worship. But another thing we do in worship is we get to declare these truths to one another, right? We get to declare these truths to one another. So you're singing these truths about God and I'm hearing you declare those things and encourage me with them and you're hearing me say those things back to you and I'm so sorry that you have to hear me sing those truths. But that's what corporate worship is. We're not reminding God of who he is. He knows how glorious he is. We're reminding each other of these truths and that's what David is doing here. And we get to see that we invite others to magnify God with us. Are you doing that? Are we doing that? Are we inviting others to know this glorious God that we serve and magnify him with us? There's no such thing as a solitary Christian. We know we were saved from, the sin, from sin, but we were saved to 
the church. And then we're called to magnify him together. So that's a question for us is, because of the life we live, is more magnification and more worship coming from other people around us because of us? Does that make sense? Are we, are we living that example of David where it's like, hey, come exalt this God with me. Are we bringing others along with us or is it just enough for us to go by ourselves? We're like, hey, I don't really want to bring Jesus into my work because they might not like him. I don't really want to bring Jesus into that side of my family. You know the side I'm talking about? Because I know the conversations that might happen, right? And it might be difficult. Or I don't want to bring Jesus into that friend group, right, students? Because these are my church friends. These are my Jesus friends. Those are my secular friends. They don't do Jesus over there, right? But we invite everyone that is around us to exalt him with us. Going on to verse 4, verses 4 through 7. Verse 4 says this, I sought the Lord and he answered me. I want to stop right there because David gives us a promise right here. He's just giving his testimony, but we see a promise from scripture. David says, I sought the Lord and he answered me. That's a promise that we have from scripture, specifically when Jesus says in the New Testament, ask, seek, and knock. Ask and you will be answered. Seek and you will knock and the door will be open you. I love this call and response right there. That's a promise from scripture. God is not going to hide his face from us. If you are seeking after God, you will find him because he is waiting there to reveal himself to you. And that's what we see right here with David is that he seeks the Lord and God answers him. And he delivers me from all my fears is what David said. He's living in a cave with a bunch of rejects. How can he say that he has delivered him from every single fear? It's because David knows what God has saved him from already. David can look back and see how God has saved him from death, not once, but twice, and probably a plethora of other times. He already knows that God has saved him from those things, and that's why David can be joyful in the midst of this situation right here. In the midst of this storm, David can magnify God and glorify him because he knows what he's already been saved from. Do we see that picture right there? Because you and I, sometimes we go through bleak circumstances, but God has already saved us from sin and death. If we are in Christ, we are his children, we have that hope of eternity, that hope of glory, right? We have that thing to look forward to. The circumstance may be bleak, but we know what he has already saved us from. We magnify God because of what he has saved us from. Maybe you're here, and I'm not trying to make light of circumstances because I think that God might have you walking through some very difficult circumstances right now. Maybe, maybe you're going through a suffering right now. Maybe you're going through a trial. Maybe someone near you is sick. Maybe you're sick. Maybe you just lost a family member or a dear friend. Maybe you just lost a job. Those sufferings, those situations are very real, but I want us to remember the words of Paul where he says this in Romans 8. The sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us, right? David doesn't excuse what's going on right now, and God leaves him in that context, but David knows what God has saved him from, and I'm encouraging us to have that same mentality of looking and realizing everything in perspective. God has saved us from this so we can walk with him through this, albeit difficult. And we also know that our suffering is real, but our suffering is also limited in two things. Our suffering is limited in intensity, right? There's a limit to how much God will allow us to suffer here. And it's limited in time. There will be an end to this suffering when we get to be with him forever. So that's an encouragement for you guys. Going on to verse five, I love this verse right here. 
David says this, those who look on him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. Those who look on him are radiant. This is a callback to whenever Moses and the Israelites were out in the wilderness and Moses would go in, commune with God. He would get to be with God. He would get to see the face of God. And remember what happened to his face after he went and spent time with God? It was like a flashlight. It was like the sun, like beaming out of his face, which just got to be crazy to look on. Like, I can't imagine, you know, Dean walking in and just having like a flashlight shining at me. I don't know what I would do. But he looked different after communing with God. And David is saying, those who commune with God, their faces will look different. Their actions will look different. So graduates, this is a challenge for you and a challenge for all of us, really. But you're about to enter a new context, a new season of life, whether it's here or whether it's somewhere else. Do those people that you're around, can they recognize that you look different because of your actions? Whenever you go out, are you taking the glory that you've received from God and bringing it out to the world around you? Does your face look different than those in the other context that aren't Christ followers? Because if not, then we need like a hard look at are we looking onto the face of God and allowing it to change us? He does the changing, we're just called to be obedient. Those who look on him are radiant. Going on to verse eight, I'll skip six and seven, but you can read that if you'd like. Oh, taste and see. I think this summarizes the entire psalm. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Taste and see that the Lord is good. I've always heard this for like different restaurants who are like Christian focused. I'm like, yeah, I love eating. It must be Baptists that own those. But taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. You see, you have to taste something before you can talk about it. You have to experience something before you can actually tell others about it. I'm not a golfer. Pastor Jeremy can tell you that. If I was trying to give Brooks golfing advice, he probably wouldn't listen to me because I do not know what I'm talking about, right? I don't. If I was trying to tell someone how to play soccer, you would look at me and be like, Rhett, you're a fool. You don't know what you're doing. You have to experience something before you can talk about that thing. You have to taste something before you can magnify that thing. David says, hey, it's not enough for me to just taste and see that the Lord is good. I want you guys to know it as well. I'm encouraging you to taste and see this Lord that I know. There are some things that once you taste them, once you experience them, there's no forgetting. I can never forget whenever Tiffany and I went to the Grand Canyon and you get to see and look at it and just all of its beauty. And there's no way that you could come up to me and be like, Rhett, the Grand Canyon's really plain, blah. And I'd be like, well, I'm sorry that you think that, but have you been there? Like, there's no dissuading me from believing that that is a beautiful scene. On a more lighthearted and food note, I am a big steak person. Any steak people out there? Any ribeye specifically people? Any, we're going a little further, any medium cooked? We're going to talk in temperature now. Any medium people? Medium rare, okay, I love it. Any rare people? We're gonna get you a good doctor, just in case. <laughs> I know one, Dr. Weaver, he's good. But I really, really enjoy a good medium-cooked ribeye steak. And there's no dissuading me from believing that that is good. If you cook it well, ask Billy Leeds, you can cook it, you can cook it wrong. But if you cook it well... It's a good steak, and you can't convince me otherwise. And that's what David is saying right here, that he has tasted the Lord's goodness. You could never convince him otherwise. And this is why when David is met with that tough circumstance, he has the background of always already knowing God. 
already tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. So nothing could prove that otherwise because he has experienced God. There's a quote from David Trapp, a Puritan in the 1600s. In addition to having a fantastic mustache, this is what he says about Psalm 34. As he that fills the fire hot, or as he that tasteth honey sweet, ye need not use arguments to persuade him to believe it. So here, let a man but once taste that the Lord is good, and he will henceforth, as a newborn babe, desire the sincere milk of the word. Right? You don't have to argue people to buy into Christ. If they experience Christ, they will, the Holy Spirit does the work. We just have to introduce them, right? And that's what he's saying here is, man, once we get to taste and see that the Lord is good, magnification automatically happens outside of our life, in our life. Whenever we experience God, whenever we see his face, right, our face will be radiant. We get to see that tasting is a prerequisite for magnifying. You see that picture? You have to taste and see that the Lord is good before you can talk about him and magnify him. Otherwise, it's inauthentic and people can sniff that out 100 miles away. So maybe you're here, we're going to have a time of prayer and response. And I know it's a very simple message, magnify the Lord. But there's a couple, I think, things that we can maybe take from this. There's a lot. But a couple places you might be. Anytime God's word interacts with us, it demands a response, right? As Rhett was going through this these past several weeks, Rhett had a response. Anytime God's word come to us, comes to us, it demands, it elicits a response in us. It goes through us. And maybe you're here and you have never received Christ. Maybe you've never tasted and seen that the Lord is good. You're going through difficult circumstances and it is, you're at your wit's end because you don't have that hope and that refuge to run to. That is Jesus. If that is you, during this time of prayer and reflection and response, maybe you need to find one of our staff members or our ministers in the back because you need to pray to receive Christ today. That's the best decision you could ever make. It gives you life, it gives you hope, it gives you a purpose, it gives you a family. Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's a promise from scripture. You don't have to do all these other things. These works will come out of that, but he is the one that does the work inside you when you have faith. That grace comes to that. Maybe you're here and you have already tasted and seen the Lord is good. You're like, Rhett, I've been a believer since I was seven cool. Have you forgotten what it's like to experience the Lord? Maybe you've started tasting all these other things and you've forgotten your first true love. All these other idols have gotten in the way, busyness, work, whatever it might be, and you have put Christ to the side and you need to go back to him today. You need to give him some things and say, hey, this burden is too much for me to carry. Carry it for me. You need to put him back on the throne of your life. We hope you have enjoyed the podcast. For more information about our church, visit www.woodridge.org.